0: Welcome to the Dig In Travel Podcast, where travel and other digital professionals level up their marketing skills by listening to the top industry experts. And now here's your host, Istok Franco, founder of digintravel.com, your number one resource for travel, digital, e-commerce, and marketing.
1: Hi, this is Istok and welcome to episode 23 of the Dig In Travel Podcast. Those of you who know me well know that I'm a huge digital enthusiast and really passionate about version optimization, about experimentation, about UX and I see these as the key elements of building great digital products. Now, with this podcast, I wanted to provide you access to the best digital minds in travel business and I'm so happy that we have one of the, the best ones on the show today. Lukas Vermeer is director of experimentation at booking.com and booking is the leader in travel as one of the best digital platforms. In this chat with Lucas, we talked about all kinds of digital things from experimentation to research to tips for airlines on how to organize and how to grow experimentation and how to use it to build better digital products. Lucas is so knowledgeable that you can hear me smiling throughout the whole talk, I was like a sponge trying to suck in as much knowledge as possible. And I think airline digital people can learn a lot from him as well. Now, before we jump into my talk with Lucas, let me remind you one thing. We'll start with our Airline Digital Academy on May 10th this year. And if you want to work and learn with me, please reach out or check our academy page on diggingtrail.com/academy. We integrated insights from leaders like Lucas, so from booking.com, from airline leaders, from leaders from Airbnb, from Harvard Business School, from Google, McKinsey, all these insights into our digital academy. So you can be sure you will learn from the best experts in the world. I love working with people who are passionate about learning, so hope to see you in our academy. Now, let's jump into my talk with Lucas. It was truly a great one. Hi, Lucas, and uh, welcome to the Dig and Trail podcast.
0: Thanks for having me. It's great. It's great to be here.
1: So, Lucas, booking.com and Airbnb and similar companies are like the benchmarks when we talk about experimentation, mm-hmm. the companies that do experimentation at scale. I was uh, really surprised when I, I think I heard in one of your prior e- interviews that as a head of or director of experimentation, you don't have any direct reports. So uh, your, your role is more like a coach or an advisor or even enabler of experimentation.
0: This is, so this was true for the first um, few years of my career at Booking. Uh, okay. That I was more of a of an evangelist and a coach for this for this topic, and although there were different teams that were running experiments that had sort of dotted lines into me, I had no uh, direct reports. And if you think about like the sort of different organizational models that you can have as an organization, this is what we would call sort of the fully decentralized model, where there is not really a center of excellence, but more like a person. Uh, that is a uh, that is trying to lead this uh,
1: person story. of excellence.
0: Yeah, person of excellence. Excellence
1: you know. person. I would call myself
0: excellent, <laughs> but but you yeah, want to call it that. Um, and then as we as we sort of um, matured, we we realized at some point that actually it is um, it's limiting in, in many ways to have. Um, no official centralized organization. So have no center of excellence and try to do everything in a centralized manner. We we noticed that when we started seeing that these decentralized teams were tackling very similar um, problems, very similar projects, but they were really struggling to effectively communicate, to effectively uh, um, work together on these things. And there was really no um, sort of official guidance or direction given uh, f- from um, because they because they did not report into me, right? I could, I could try and guide them and coach them, but ultimately they were accountable and responsible to different parts of the organization. So about two and a half, th- three years ago, and so this is right after the publication that you just referred to, right? So <laughs> right after we published that thing where we said, I have no direct reports is when we made a switch and we said, actually, we we're going to take some of these people, some of these teams and centralize them into a center of excellence model where uh, I currently now lead a track or a department that has 20 uh, something people in it, uh, and those do people those do report into me. So so that uh, that
1: has changed. So what do these people do? They are like uh, still providing guidelines and make sure quality assurance of experiment that the experimentation is done the right way uh, with the product teams?
0: Yeah, so this, this is an excellent question because that also uh, often leads to confusion because people ask me what sort of experiments I'm running. And the answer is I don't really run any experiments because that is not our, our core responsibility. We are um, a, a an internal tooling provider or you could call us an internal product group that provides a product, an experimentation platform, that can be used by other parts of the organization to run experiments. And we do that. uh, in, in different ways. So, so one is that we have to provide technical enablement. So, We have a lot of people who are actually working on ensuring that this product is integrated into all of our systems so that it's technically possible to run experiments. We do that by collecting the data in reliable ways. So we have centralized pipelines and we have people responsible for those pipelines to ensure that every part of our organization collects information about experiments in the same way. Um, and we do that by uh, education and support where if people want to run experiments and they need help, they can ask us uh, and we have a semi-professionalized support channel where we, we have SLAs on how quickly we respond to queries, et cetera. Uh, and so, yes, we do still provide guidance uh, to people running experiments, but at the point we're now at, we, we have about 2000 internal users that are using this platform. So, so really, but there comes a point where you stop thinking about your product as um, me sitting next to the product teams working on experiments. That's where we were at, I think, five years ago, where now we are really thinking of this more in terms of we are a product group, we have users, and those users are the 2,000 internal people that uh, that we help. And so it's really a sort of a professionalization of the experimentation platform where I think we are now more similar to, um, say, a... A VWO and optimized the an ab Tasty a conductor. That was my
1: thought. You're, you became like internal, we, let's we say, became, platform we provider. We became more
0: similar to them than we are to, a, let's say, an internal BI unit that, that provides business intelligence support.
1: Interesting. We'll come back to these different organization models for optimization yeah. later on. <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
0: because... it's, a, it's a question I get a lot at conferences as yeah. well. And people ask me, like, what, what do you think is the best? Um, model for, for sort of embedding experimentation in your, in your organization. And look, I've, I've been with Booking for eight years now, and I have seen all of them. Right. Yeah. We we were first. We were in a single team embedded in a product organization, helping that product run experiments. Then we were a decentralized group of teams with dotted lines to a a, a person of excellence, and we call it that. Uh, and then we moved into a center of excellence model where we have all of these teams sitting together, reporting into one person, so that we can we can work more uh, more effectively together. And I would say that all of those models are correct given the context of the organization at the moment so i think there's no way that we could have done center of excellence 8 years ago mm-hmm. and there's no way that a fully embedded in, in single product team would work now it's, it's so the question of what is the best model is a is pretty nonsensical really because it it mm-hmm. totally depends on where your organization mm-hmm. is in their in their journey
1: I wanted to park this question for later, but now you started to talk. Ah, so.
0: i for answering your questions before No, you. no,
1: no, no. It's, it's great. It's great. So uh, we were talking before the call, actually, and I was explaining to you that we measure maturity models for airlines, mm-hmm. and we have some that are start that just to recognize the value of experimentation, mm-hmm. and they have like this more centralized either team or even a person, in some cases, that is starting to try to get the first breakthroughs to show the value experimentation. But then there are some who already have many product teams Mm -hmm. and try to push the experimentation, but would like to then enable these product teams to do this at scale. So when I listen to you from Booking, if I go now reverse engineering from where we are now and where we are five years ago, There is still a gap to, I think, where most of these companies are. So what would, you, what would be, based on your learnings and perhaps so, so far, what would be, would be your advice on how to then democratize this, how to scale this to enable them to do exper- experimentation at a larger scale?
0: Ooh, so this is a good question.
1: <laughs> sorry,
0: and I'm, I'm I'm sorry if there's not a single right answer for every individual company. I think it really, really highly depends on where you're at. So together with uh, Alexander Fabian at, uh, mm-hmm. at Microsoft, um, I've tried to sort of clarify our thinking. Uh, mostly Alexander, actually, I, I should give him like 99 percent of the credit. I I mostly just you know gave feedback on uh, on his draft. Um, but he's he specified this idea of a um, Experimentation flywheel, where the the value of experimentation and the way that you embed this in uh, in, in an organization really should be a, a, an incremental flywheel style approach, where if you start running your first experiments and you show value, then the show the the fact that you show value will make it easier to dedicate resources to scaling the experimentation. Uh, infrastructure, which will make it easier to run more experiments, which will, which will make it easier to show more value, which will make it easier to dedicate value, right? Uh, and so you you get into this loop where it, it, each of these steps is reinforcing this and uh, this idea that experimentation should grow within an organization, and it should start from from, from a few small experiments, but it should slowly, uh, slowly scale out. One of the things that makes that model work Uh, is the idea that the investments that you make into the experimentation platform or into your processes should be um, directed towards lowering the cost of each individual experiment, right? We want to get to a point where running an experiment is not just considered the right thing to do, it's also considered the easy thing to do. And so you want to get to a place where product teams just don't even think about it anymore. It's become so easy to run an experiment that to just naturally uh, gravitate towards that. It becomes the, the, the easy default, uh, we say, within within Booking. Um, and that's also something where, within my own group in Booking.com, we talk about how we um, improve the way that we run experiments. So if we want to make people run better experiments, this is not... A matter of telling them. This is not a matter of simply educating them. Those things are insufficient, right? If you tell people what is the right approach, then some will remember, some will forget. But you have to go one step further and ensure that with the tooling that you provide, doing the right thing is always the default. And so the platform has a has a responsibility to actually guide users towards running experiments in the right way. And that's, that's something that we've been thinking about a lot in in recent years. And in how does the and this might be familiar to people who actually run experiments, but it's a sort of a revelation for our own internal team. Once we realized that we were a product team and the platform is our product, that the way that the product looks and the simple things like where buttons are and what copy we show has a massive influence on how people run experiments. And so the irony is that for, say, um, 12 years prior to that, we had been helping product teams learn about what makes their customers tick and how to make their products more efficient through experimentation. And it took us 12 years to realize that we could apply exactly the same (laughs) principles to the experimentation platform. And I like, wait a minute, Um, this button, uh, to give you a very classic example, there was a button on the platform that did something that was quite impactful and quite dangerous and required a lot of thought to decide whether you click this button yes or no. right? So we want the user to be very cognizant when they click this button what's going to happen and for some reason the original designers of the experimentation platform had made this button bright green <laughs> and i remember one of the first days we brought a designer onto the onto the team because we have uh, we have designers on our platform team and uh, he looked at this ui and I said why is this button green and said what do you mean why is this button green and he said well do you want people to click on this without thinking Because if you make a button green, that's exactly what's going to happen. People like naturally (laughs) gravitate towards green. Green is good, right? Let me click it. And I said, well, no, no. I want people to be very uh, deliberate about when they click this button. And he said, okay, let's add some friction. And so rather than making it green, we removed color altogether. We made it a little bit less outstanding, so a little bit bright in the UI. And we actually added an additional step, adding friction to this process, where if you click the button, you get one more screen that really (laughs) forces you to think about what it is that you're doing. And that, that moment really opened my eyes and made me think like, wait, the way that this UI is shaped informs or influences how people make decisions on this experimentation platform. And that is the way that you can go from say, helping five teams run experiments to 2,000 people running experiments. That's how you do it. You, you, instead of hand-holding individuals, you start thinking about how does the UI or how does the governance around the UI shape the way that people make decisions.
1: Interesting. And one of the things that you said, I think it's very important that you don't think if you should test or not, it's just the right thing to do
0: that's that's the ideal right uh, so and, and a joke i often make is that anytime you change the product it is an experiment and so the choice is not whether you run an experiment the choice is whether you run a controlled experiment because often people talk about experimentation they're talking about ab testing but the definition of an experiment is that you change something with an expectation of what's going to happen that is the that's the simple definition of a of an experiment. And that is essentially product development. Anytime we make a change to our product for a particular reason, we simply, we essentially have a hypothesis that we want to test. Now the, the question is how rigorous are we going to go about testing this hypothesis? Are we going to just throw it out there? And then unless we get complaints from customer service, we're going to think it's fine. All right. That's, that's one way. <laughs> I would argue that a controlled experiment is actually a much more powerful, de- powerful device for testing these uh, feature changes. And, and ideally, you would apply that uh, mechanism, you would apply that experimentation de- device to any change that you make where you expect to see a change or not.
1: One of the things that you talk now when we talk about experimentation and we say you should test like every changes to your product and mm. I think less mature organizations or people that are... Sometimes we want to jump too much into it. So we just try to test everything yeah. without really you know challenging what we are testing and why we are doing that and i saw i yeah. think this was one of your uh, funny stories how you started with experimentation right
0: the, you mean the the ranking experiments
1: <laughs> yes, yes
0: yeah yeah and i think they, i think it's very natural for people to sort of only challenge the surface of an idea right and it's very very natural to jump into a product and say well how can i tweak the color of the button uh, how can I tweak the location of the logo? And or in my case, in this in this story, how can I change the order of the hotels that we show on this particular page? And that's only scratching at the surface of what are actually the the assumptions that you're making about how this product works in the first place. Right before thinking about what is the optimal color of this button, you have already made the assumption that the button is important in the first place. Right, that you're you're assuming that this button matters even, and and unless you have some pretty clear evidence that that's the case, I would say it's more Uh, informative to challenge that assumption first. And and the reason I say that is because um, if the button doesn't matter, that means the color also doesn't matter, right? By by implication, (laughs) the color is only important if the button is important. And so you need to understand first, what is the value of this feature in the first place before you start optimizing it? And ironically, it's often easier to challenge those deeper-seated assumptions than it is to challenge the, the, the details of the implementation. Right, Running an experiment where you remove the button entirely is often easier to interpret than changing the color of the button. Because changing the color of the button might have very subtle effects on how people behave, but they're going to be so subtle that you need a pretty powerful experimentation device in order to be able to pick up those effects. But if this button is important to the user experience, if you remove it, you will notice. Right? You will, you will see it from space. And, and that's also why I say like the, we have to distinguish between this idea of a controlled experiment and an experiment right? Because especially these deeper seated assumptions, you might actually be able to test without a controlled experiment. If the impacts are large enough, you could get away with uh, what we call a regression discontinuity design, which is where um, I'm going to remove the button today. And if my sales drop by 50% today, That I'm going to put it back tomorrow. And if my sales go up by 50%, then I know that (laughs) it's probably the button, right? And so, so this sort of aggression, this continuity design where you sort of deliberately um, introduce.
1: This is what you learned with your recommendation engine, right? So when you removed it, and there was no impact. Yeah, this is. This cool
0: right. So, <laughs> so I worked on the recommendation engine for six months, only only to realize that when we removed the thing entirely, so all of the recommendations were gone, then there was no impact on the user uh, user behavior, which which sort of called into question the purpose of the entire recommendation <laughs> engine in the first place. And I honestly, I wish I that was one of the first things I, I tried. Right. I, I wish I had gone into that job and asked the question of do we actually know that this thing matters rather than sort of taking at face value that this thing is important and and, and trying to improve it. Um, that That is sort of the message that I'm also trying to send with when I talk about experimentation is that I'm not really that interested in the experiment that changes the color of the button. Because then we're talking about such micro-optimization that most likely the impact that we're going to have are, are very small. And then for a company as big as Booking.com, where we have many, many users and we want to optimize the user experience for all of them, um, and we're working at a global scale, there the color of the button might might make a big difference. But if you're a smaller company and you have less traffic, this, this is not going to make and break your bank. What's going to make and break your company is um, perhaps the way that you, uh, put your value proposition, right? So how do you explain to your customers why they should be your customer in the first place? The words that you use on your website can be super impactful, Um, but even the value proposition itself, what is the nature of your product, right? How how does it work? Is there insurance? Is there not insurance? What is the price? These are sort of the levers that we know from, from sort of a business background, that these are the levers that are going to make or break the product. And those are the ones that we should test not the surface of them, not the way that
1: they're exposed. One thing that both booking and let's say our airline industry is facing now, of course, is this huge disruption and huge change yeah. because of the COVID and the pandemic. Yeah. Do you think, and this I get a lot, you know, when I talk to people from our industries, I'm asking, you, so what kind of changes, what experiments, what stuff are you running? And a lot of them are like, no, we are like waiting, stand still, you know, yeah. and I'm challenging this. Should we? Ch- test and challenge the assumptions that we had before more now should yeah. we test even more now because we, we a lot of the things a lot of the benchmarks are gone how do you guys at booking look at Ooh.
0: well th- so first let me say that this is this pandemic is a human tragedy right yes so i think f- first i want to acknowledge that this is this is difficult on everyone these are these are very trialing times and so sort of talking about what this means for experimentation feels a little trite
1: no, that's true. Right. This is such, oh, a
0: big, such a big thing,
1: right? To me, it was more about the question about you know the assumptions. You know, yeah. uh, Should we challenge all the assumptions more?
0: I, I think so, yes. I think that with an upheaval and a, and a catastrophe this big, it's almost inevitable that some consumer behavior or, uh, or some dynamics have shifted forever. I don't I, I don't know what those things are, but I'm pretty sure that something has changed and something of this magnitude will have an impact. And so it's even more important that we figure out, like, are we doing the things that we're doing, are they still relevant to our customers? They, they may have been relevant two years ago. Are they still relevant? To them now, or have has something changed about the way that our customers uh, interact with our with our product? I think the other the other aspect that you touched upon briefly is this idea of we're standing still, and I, I want to challenge that a little bit. I, do these companies mean that they're making no more changes whatsoever? Are they honestly not adapting their their product? That seems like a, a
1: no, I' feel- untenable
0: <clears throat> position. Right, the world is changing very quickly. We 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 should be adapting our our product, and if we're adapting oh. our product in such a uncertain environment as we have at the moment, then it's all the more important that we actually test what the impact of those changes are. Like I said before, any change that we make to the product is essentially an experiment. The only choice is whether we measure what the impact is. Now, I know what people are going to say. They're going to say, well, the world is so, um, so much changing at the moment that if we run an experiment and we find that people uh, enjoy this feature, that tells us very little about whether they will enjoy it one year from now. right? And this is the, the yeah. question of generalizability. The things that we learn now, are they going to be relevant one year from now? And that is a genuine concern. I, I understand that this is a concern mm-hmm. and that an experiment might not be able to tell you very much about the future, but it will tell you something about the now. And because we're so much in a certain environment, it's all the more important that we pay attention to the impact that our changes are having on our users now, because we really do not know how people will behave under, a certain, under a certain current conditions.
1: Yeah, no, I think your, uh, your comment was uh, spot on. And I think, yeah, it's not the case, especially in the airline industry. Most of the industry, I see a good trend there. Mm they're moving towards to make the digital product better to this touchless contactless journey yeah. and it's a lot of effort to make it as frictionless as possible yeah what i meant more towards experimentation is that especially in times in times like this when we need to make good solution fast you know mm-hmm. experimentation is often the the odd man out you know yeah. we don't have time we need to do it quick oh, we know no. we know this is something that uh, people will want you know so yeah uh, this, I think, is the challenge, you know? Uh, I think I know your answer. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I,
0: and, and so to some extent, I, I agree, right? Running an experiment does slow things down. And, and, and so um, I, don't, I want to be really clear. Like I, I'm not disagreeing that the experimentation has uh, a delaying effect on the speed at which we roll out features. But I want to be very clear, rolling out features is not the goal. Solving customer problems is the goal. And we don't know which of the features that we are rolling out are actually solving customer problems unless we test them. And so this, this idea of I can be faster if I if I don't run experiments, to me, is a little bit uh, the same as saying, well, I can run faster if I close my eyes. That That's <laughs> true, right? Maybe it's true. if you close your eyes, you can go faster. That's because you don't see the wall, right? And you're still going to run into it. It's still going to hurt, uh, but you just won't notice as much if you're not. you're not testing. So I I think it's super important that, especially when you're moving fast, especially when you're taking increased risk, right? when you're not certain that something's going to work because the environment is different, because you're trying to act quickly, especially in those circumstances, you should double check to ensure that you're having the impact that you want. Um, Because the objective, and, and this is something that I talk about a lot as well, is that an experiment doesn't just allow you to measure the uplift. Perhaps more importantly, it allows you to measure when things go wrong. And, and that is perhaps an even bigger advantage of running experiments is that if something breaks, you will know very quickly and you'll be able to intervene very quickly if you do this as part of a controlled
1: experiment. In our digital academy, we talk about the similar concept of the, the risking ideas. So yeah there is uh, ideas and why should we do it it's a, so it's,
0: it's a funny story actually it took me so so i joined booking 8 years ago but booking actually started running experiments 16 years ago and for the first few years that i worked there the mentality within booking was very much one of optimizing user experience so it was very much around what things can we do to make this funnel even slicker to make it even easier to find great places to stay and so it was super optimization focused then at some point i I I got into a conversation with one of the founders of Booking.com and he talked to me about the very first experiment that they ran. And I realized that the first experiment that Booking ever ran was not at all an optimization uh, experiment. It was was a de-risking exercise where there was disagreement within, I won't talk about the actual experiment, I can't, but there was disagreement within the group of founders of how they should tackle a certain business problem. And the Arthur at some point said, well, fuck it, we're just going to run an experiment and see, see that this doesn't hurt our bottom line, right? I'm going to prove to you that this doesn't have this huge negative effect that you're all worried about. And that was the very first experiment that Booking ran. So it was not at all an optimization exercise. It was purely a de-risking exercise. It's okay. funny how those things get lost in the annals of time.
1: Yes, true. So when you talk, and I think you mentioned this before also, you know, that... You should test big, bigger changes. uh, Mm -hmm. Let's say bigger ideas. Mm -hmm. How do you find the balance, or what is the right approach between this more like, let's say, confirmatory or optimization kind of experiments, and more this exploratory, even research, and then experiments?
0: Okay, so those are two questions. Let me first challenge you a little bit. Um, I am not saying that you should run bigger experiments. Okay. Um, I am saying that you should run experiments on the bigger things. And there's right. a slight, there's a subtle difference there, right? I'm, I'm going on the assumption that you are changing your product and that some of those changes are big and some of those changes are small. And I'm further going to assume that those big changes have important consequences for your business and how you think about your customers. Now, I say you should run those things through an experiment first because that will have the biggest impact on your long term strategic direction it will teach you more about your customers than all of those little things that you're also going to do. Now, obviously, I would also run experiments on the little things, but the reason I say run experiments on the big things is not to say run bigger experiments, but run experiments on the big things. Right. The second part of your question is more around how do you decide um, how you spend your time between doing big things and doing small things? And I think that really it depends on the, and, and sort of the maturity of a product space that you're in. So for a company like Booking.com, we have been in the space of uh, selling accommodations on the internet since 1996, right? There are some aspects of our business that we are super maturing. And in those aspects of our business, we are tweaking the machine. We are making small iterative changes to see whether we can sort of make it just a little bit easier, but we're really looking at micro-optimizations here. And the only reason we can really do this is, one, we've already spent 20 years optimizing the crap out of this thing, so it's already very good. And two, we have so much traffic coming in that we can actually see the differences in user behavior even when we make small changes. Now, at the same time, Booking has already started selling flights. It's already started selling cars, taxis, uh, attractions, Um, and all of these things we are very new to. We haven't been doing that for a very long time. And so there, when I look at the experiments that the t- these teams are running, they are much bigger things because the questions are so much bigger. There's many things we don't know about how customers want to book a flight or how customers want to book a taxi. And so the questions are larger. And so by their very nature, uh, the experiments or the, the research questions are, are, are larger. And also the expo- it's more exploratory in nature because there's so much we don't
1: know. Makes sense. In terms of when we go about these things, yeah, so... I think experimentation is one pillar and I also think you talked about this in the past and then we have user research and uh, analytics. Mm-hmm. How do you, when you have big teams like uh, you have, how do you make them collaborate? How do you how do you make these whole things work together? So the analytics part, which are usually different sets of, uh, let's say, minds and people and then people who work more closely with users and analyze them. You also you have your own usability lab yeah. and then at the end, experiment.
0: So we've taken the the approach that um, experimentation, analytics, um, and user research fall under what we call customer insights. So this idea that we want to learn what customers are asking of us. Um, and they all report into the same VP. And so within my um, peer group, there is a director of user research and a director of data science and analytics. Um, and we sit together regularly to talk, to talk about how our areas uh, should should collaborate and what the sort of the synergies of p- possible collaborations are on the projects that we're working on. But that's just sort of strategically, how do we make sure that these fields work together? Well, that's by organizationally putting them close together. I think on the level of individual experimenters, we've tried several things and I, I don't think we've quite cracked it. It's actually quite difficult to think about how do you structure these different kinds of knowledge and how do you tie them together? I think it's an open an open question that is, is yet to be solved of how do we take the insights from a, a user research study and cleanly attach them to um, observations from a analy- analytical piece of work? And how do we tie those to an experiment or a series of experiments? And that's a, that's a nut we have uh, we have yet to crack. I, I firmly believe that there's something there that we could, Uh, perhaps find ways to make these fields work more closely together. And I also believe that the the answer to that is going to be found in making sure that we have a tool or product thinking for each of these areas. And then we then integrate these tools. And I know outside of booking, I know there's a few companies that are actually, so they're pursuing this idea that the experiment is one piece of evidence and that you want to have some way of a t- of tying different pieces of evidence together. So you want to be able to say uh, this user research feedback was gathered while that experiment was running. And so the feedback is about that experiment.
1: So right? you want to validate the experiments and uh, to complement the, yeah, the learning works. behind the experiment. Because
0: I, I honestly believe like, that none of these fields is perfect in its own right. right. The experimentation is very limited in many ways. Uh, and user research is, is, in many ways, much more broad. And so we really have to sort of find ways to uh, complement each other's strengths. I did a talk with uh, Molly Stevens uh, recently at a, um, at a user research conference. Uh, uh, Molly is our director okay. of uh, user research. And we talked a little bit about how, how we think about uh, user research being more of a broad suite of skills that give us um, deep insight into how people think. Right? What What is it that's going on behind their eyes? Uh, whereas experimentation is this really narrow method of finding out, if I do this, that will happen, right? And so it requires an intervention. It requires that we change something. It requires lots and lots of users. But it doesn't actually give us insight into how people think. So, mm-hmm. so th- these two things should complement each other. Before we run an experiment, we have to understand um, how do we think this experiment is going to work in the first place? We have to talk to users and ask them, like, what what do you expect the product to do? Because there's no way that we're going to get that information from an experiment itself. And So we Mm -hmm. talk to users, try to understand what they need, try to understand how they think about these things, come up with solutions or different ways of approaching particular problems, and then we test those in an experiment. And the outcome of that experiment can then be used to go back to users and say, well, um, you say that you are interested in X, but we observe that You know, people do. Why can can you talk us through, like, why is this happening? And so these these two fields should be, uh, again, uh, working together, collaborating, and uh, complementing each other.
1: To me, it's interesting because, like you said, yeah, mostly, let's say, traditional look at it is okay. We use analytics, user research, and uh, let's say we take different. Insights to build a hypothesis that we then test and validate. But now, what you are talking is also uh, doing it as a, in a constant loop. Uh, yeah, exactly. It goes
0: both ways, right? This is yeah, it's yeah. a feedback cycle. Great. Absolutely, yeah.
1: And when we talk about data, this is to me what is seems tricky. Maybe from an outside looking in, when you have like a huge organization and a lot of teams doing experiments and optimization or testing, mm-hmm. how do you? Make sure that they are not, not, you know, like optimizing this micrometrics and that the whole thing is moving in the right direction.
0: How do I do that?
1: No, I mean, if <laughs> you can do that, great. But in general, as an organization, you know, how do you make sure that you're measuring uh, the right things when it comes to experiments, that they are moving, that their experiments are really moving the right, uh, you know, let's say, metrics, not the more like uh, metrics.
0: So... This is such a difficult question, but I often point, like to point out that this is not a problem of experimentation, this is a problem of product management. Like every organization, whether you experiment or not has this problem exactly. how, do you, how do you know what are the right things to work on that this is the, not the this is not my area of expertise because you know I, I, I deal in experiments. Um, but but I think the question of are we actually working on the right topics is a business question rather than experimentation question. experimentation can only give you feedback on the assumption that you've made along the way. So if you say, well, we're going to work on this particular product because we know customers will click on it and love it, then experimentation can tell you, well, actually, no one clicked on it. Right, And then and you can then use that as feedback on, to update your beliefs about what, what are the most important things to work on. But experimentation will not tell you what is important. Right, It will only tell you, well, this thing that you just tried, it was absolute crap. Um, and, that, and that feedback is what ultimately makes your strategy better, makes your product better, because it helps you focus on those things that actually make a difference and sort of disregard those branches that, that, that don't. Um, how do you ensure that people are using the right metrics is a different question. Like, how do, you, how do you make sure that when people are testing these ideas, that they then have the right metrics to test the ideas that they have in the first place? And one of the biggest challenges there, I see, is not necessarily on the short term. It's often very easy to measure how many people click on a certain button or you know, whether people bounce off the page and perhaps even whether people uh, purchase an item. What is much more difficult is, is ideas, ideas around, well, if we do this, people will become more loyal, or if we do this, people will love us more. And, and those are things that uh, we ultimately want to achieve. Like these are the things that we want long term, but that are uh, essentially impossible to measure in many cases. The love is not something that we can we can measure. Loyalty we could potentially measure, but we're talking about very long timescales, and so often one of the downsides of this sort of uh, experimentation is that you cannot really measure the ultimate outcomes that you're interested in. Um, And this is often pointed to as a as a weakness of experimentation, where people say, "Well, if I can't measure the thing that I really really want, then experimentation is useless." But that's not true. Because um, experimentation will tell you what are the short-term effects and you can reason about how those short-term effects will ultimately give you long-term effects. Let me give you an example. If I believe that um, making a change to a product will lead to longer-term loyalty, and I run this change as an experiment, and I find that it is increasing the number of people who bounce from our page. It is decreasing the number of people who make a purchase in the first place, and it's increasing the number of people who call our customer service with a complaint. Yeah. yeah. All of those three things are short term metrics, and they are not what I'm ultimately aiming for because I'm aiming for long term loyalty. But I would be very, very hard pressed to believe that there is a long term loyalty effect if I can in the short term see that people are running away from a product, not purchasing it and complaining about what they do, (laughs) right? You would have to have some pretty strong beliefs about sort of the differences between short term and long term effects to believe that this long term outcome still stands. And so even if we cannot measure the long term effects that we're really interested in, we can still be interested in those short term uh, effects. And even better, we can start to think about and start to model uh, how short-term effects uh, influence long-term effects. In the, in the literature, we call this the, the surrogacy, or the, or the idea that you can have short-term metrics that tell us something about future metrics. Um, and this is not something that is specific to booking or to e-commerce. Uh, my wife does medical research. Uh, in the medical field, this is super common. Right? When a doctor tries a, or when a medical trial tries a new form of medication, what they're really interested in, ultimately, is that all of these patients have long and happy lives. But no medical trial ever measures whether people have long and happy lives. What they look at is whether the immediate condition that the patient is being treated for is resolved. And that is a short-term proxy. It is a surrogate for the long-term effect that we are seeking. So it's not something that is limited to um e-commerce or or even or even the online space
1: like you said sometimes let's say example from our airline industry Mm. it's when it comes to what we call let's say ancillary revenue so Mm. it is a lot of sometimes a lot of pressure to sell additional products but the challenge is always there okay how will you make sure even if you increase the short-term revenue how are you not making your experience worse and we saw You know, our industry is a great example of that because we saw, I think, different extremes of that, you know? And for example, uh, we talk on our site a lot about, for example, if you look at Ryanair UX, even from the digital experience, how it evolved from, you know, tons of friction to almost frictionless or one of the best websites in terms of uh, airline booking experience. I think you can see this loop of trying to, measure these short-term effects, but also see the long-term effects. So,
0: yeah, it um, reminds me very much of uh, an entirely different uh, field, but Google has a, has a great paper, I don't remember the name, I think it's the Long-Term Effects of Experimentation Online, something like this. So it's, it's a few years old. And they talk about a method called the cookie-cookie-day method, which, which they use to look at um, if Google shows you more ads, then you will click on more ads, so they make more short-term revenue. This is very similar to the airline case, where yeah. you're you're adding more stuff to the to the bill, right? Um, but on the longer term, they're worried that if they show you too many ads, then at some point you'll stop using Google and you'll go somewhere else. And this is a this is a very similar concern, right? We might be able to get more revenue in the short term, but what are the consequences for the long term? Uh, and this this is a a problem that each industry, I think, will have to have to figure out how to strike that balance. I don't think
1: there's a, a yeah, one answer. When we are to industry maybe to end mm-hmm. um, you work on let's say in booking on mostly travel industry. Mm-hmm. Do you think there are any specific when it comes to our field? Do
0: you mean it's a specific product or specific experimentation or
1: uh, in terms of uh, not necessarily experimentation but more in terms of how people perceive the the online shopping experience and things like that?
0: i uh i have to say i love the travel space yes. It's it's just such a nice product space to work in um because i love to travel i think a lot of people love to travel everyone wants to travel um, and so making that easier for everyone is has always for me been a, like a nice mission uh, to work against even in pandemic times um i think this is somewhat different from some other players in the e-commerce space where you're selling products that I don't believe have as much positive impact on people's lives. Right. I honestly believe that travel makes people better people. Um, so, so it's nice to sort of work in that space. And so I have less concerns about helping people travel more, but in and of itself, I think is a good thing. That would be different if we were, I don't know, a gambling company. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: I would have more ethical reservations about helping people gamble more. But in the travel space, I have this uh, have this a lot less. Um, I don't really have specific ideas around how our how travel is different from an experimentation point of view.
1: My opinion, maybe, or what I see, it's it's more like what I think it's maybe unique about travel, and it's not about uh, experimentation. It's more like about the whole combination is that is this mix of emotional plus rational decisions because tre- travel is usually the purchases are more expensive, but still, I think, how do you, you know, understand this? stick at the end, they're emotional decisions. So this this combination to me, it's really tricky and it's very interesting to me.
0: I I love that comment because because one of the things I bump into sometimes is people say, well, um, uh, booking a flight or booking a car should be um, as relaxing as possible right? It should be as frictionless and as easy as possible. Yeah. And I, I, I agree to some point, like there shouldn't be artificial friction in this, in this process. But I think some of the friction and some of the stress is needed, right? Some of this friction and some of this stress is just part and parcel of how emotionally important this decision is to our lives. And if we remove that stress, we remove uh, move that friction, we're essentially telling people, oh, no, this is not important to your life. Which is not true, right? These are important life decisions. It's like um, if you are a wedding planner and you say to people, I'm going to make your wedding stress-free. Amazon
1: One Click yeah, Purchase.
0: But This is like one of the most important decisions that you make in your life. Some stress is to be expected. And in fact, some of that stress is good stress, right? This You should be thinking long and hard about this decision in your life. Now, I'm not saying that booking a flight or booking an accommodation is like... Comparable. <laughs> to deciding who to marry. But, but in some sense, like deciding which flight to take and which uh, hotel to book is a stressful experience and must be a stressful experience because it's an important decision for people to take. And so we want them to pay attention and we want them to sort of think about, is this the right thing uh, for me?
1: Yeah, no, I agree. I agree because as I see, I know in our industry, we have this pressure of becoming, the the, the, the the worst buzzword, the Amazons of travel. And then mm-hmm. we go further to this one-click, one-shop experience. And like you said, with your wedding, although, I don't know, my wife would like to have this, like, one-click, yeah. yes, and then it's done. Yeah. <laughs> so, you don't need to so, think
0: about are marrying. I mean, it's, yeah. it's this idea of, uh, of, in the user experience field, they call this purposeful friction, right? Where some friction is actually good. Some friction has purpose. And it's important that we think about which friction in the process is useful and which friction in the process can we remove. And it's, it's, we should not be um, dogmatic about removing friction and always removing. The, the example I gave earlier of our experimentation platform is a good example, right? This button that mm-hmm. was green, if we want people to really think about this decision, then it should not be a giant green button that is right in their face, because they're going to click on it without thinking. And so we should purposefully add friction to this process in order to get better outcomes for everyone. Uh, and, and in this case, for travelers, in some cases, we must add friction. Even if that's perceived as a negative, we must add friction to make for better outcomes for it, for everyone.
1: Yeah. Thanks, Lucas. This Thank was, you. Was this fun. was great. I could uh, chat for another hour, but... <laughs> I I think I can go on yes yes so thank you very much thank you and uh, looking forward to follow your work in the future and all the best
0: oh there's more to come this podcast is supported by Pros. are you looking to optimize revenues across revenue management retail and distribution with more than 30 years of experience and a legacy in the airline industry Pros provides AI powered solutions that optimize selling in the digital economy Pro's customers, who are leaders in their markets, benefit from decades of data science expertise infused into our industry solutions. If you like this podcast, check out Pro's podcast, The View from 30,000 Feet, on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Pro's website, or visit the Resource Center at Pro's.com to access our special COVID-19 edition webinars and blog posts.